Thank you. Elder Rourke. I think we've got to make that stick. It's going to stick. Let's make it happen. Um, again, my name is Nicholas Fima. Uh, my wife, Krista, and I were on staff here from 2012 to 2014, and God has taken us places over the last four and a half years. Um, but every time we go someplace, um, everything, every time we do something different, we can always look back and reflect on our time here at Sunrise because it was so pivotal for us. This, you have been like family to us. Um, and there are a lot of new faces, and I'm excited about that. And I know that there's a lot of faces that aren't here because they've gone on to help plant in Visalia. And that is an amazing, truly amazing thing. And since we've been gone, we've actually added an addition to our family. Ezra is running around in the back. Um, but we really are glad to be here, especially right now as you're going through these Sunrise family values. Because it's, it's actually a very scriptural thing to do what you're doing right now. This series, the family values, it's scriptural. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it talks about when, when God is telling Moses and Moses is telling the people that as e generations come up, I want you to tell them of what I, what God did, how I brought you out of slavery, how I brought you out of Egypt, and I brought you or I am taking you to the promised land. Don't ever forget the next generation and the next generation and the next generation needs to know this. And in fact, that story is our story. God has brought us out of slavery, out of bondage, out of sin, into new life with him through Jesus. And in fact, that's, that's going to be a similar theme that we're going to be talking about today. So the Sunrise family value that I want to present to you today is communicating or preaching or proclaiming the gospel in a culturally relevant way. Now that can sound a little misleading, but what I want to do for us is actually take us through the book of Acts. I'm going to do a sweeping kind of survey starting in chapter 8, and then we're going to finish in Acts chapter 17. So our passage today is actually Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34. So if you want to turn there, you can. You can put a finger there. I'm not going to be there for a little while because what I want to do is I want to very quickly go through several of those high points starting in eight, in eight so that you can see what's going on and understand how the gospel is proclaimed to us all. Uh, so with that, I want to go ahead and pray for us this morning. Um, Lord, Father God, I thank you so much for each and every one of us here. God, that you are in the midst of doing something amazing. That 20 years, we can all start to celebrate right now through this series and looking forward in a few weeks when it is the actual date. And think about all the things that you have done. All the people that have come to know you, to be saved by you. But also, not just to reflect God, but to dream and to dream about what is coming next. What do you have for Sunrise Community Church in the next 20 years, God? Thank you for each and every person here, God. I ask that you would, in your miraculous power, remove any barriers that stand between us today, not just of the tongue, but also of the heart and of the mind, so that we can understand better how it is you have reached us and how your people have reached others that we are all the recipients of. In your name, we pray. Amen. Again, it's, no, it's, it's a really cool thing to be in this series, and I'm so glad that, you're, um, that you have us here. So 
starting in Acts chapter 8, and you don't really have to turn there if you don't want to, because I'm not really going to be reading too much of it, but one of the cool things that we do see in Acts 8 is that we see Philip, one of the disciples, who has been changed by God. All of a sudden, he is being led by God. He's being led by God to go someplace. God is saying, go to the place I will show you, and I want you to wait there, wait there for a man. And then all of a sudden, what happens is there's an Ethiopian eunuch, a government official that rides up on his chariot. And to, make, and to summarize the story, what Philip does is he asks him if he understands what he's reading, to which the, the Ethiopian says, how can I understand if nobody will explain to me? So Philip begins to explain to the Ethiopian the message of Jesus Christ. He is explaining how the Old Testament points to the new and points to Jesus as being the one that fulfills everything that is promised in the old that is now happening in Jesus. So I think what, what I'm wanting us to understand about that passage and why it's relevant to us today is that sometimes leading people to Christ and sometimes reaching out to other people means that we need to help them connect the dots. We need to help them understand the storyline of God. And I know that it's been a few years since I've been here to where I know that we've gone through this, but I'm sure recently you have gone through the whole meta-narrative of Scripture. Even if you don't understand much about how all 66 books fit together, if you can understand four words, creation, sin, redemption, and restoration, then you basically understand all 66 books of the Bible, that that's really what's happening. So sometimes proclaiming the gospel means that we need to explain or fill in the gaps for people so that they can understand what's really going on. And it's also being sensitive to God leading us. Moving on to Acts chapter 9, we see Ananias being led by God, again, being led by God to Damascus to reach a person who had two chapters before been involved in the persecution, the killing of other Christians. He goes and he proclaims the gospel to Paul. Sometimes proclaiming the gospel, sometimes proclaiming the good news, reaching other people, means potentially putting yourself in harm's way. Philip didn't know, or Ananias didn't know what he was getting himself into. He didn't know. He was trusting God to take care of him. Sometimes doing this, sometimes proclaiming the gospel, means we're putting ourselves in harm's way. In Acts chapter 10, we see the disciples, again, being led by God to share the gospel to a different group of people. So this is new. This is the non-Jews. All of a sudden, the gospel, who had seemed like it was for one group of people, is now for everybody. But they're not quite sure about that. But Non-Jews are starting to be reached with the gospel. And then in Acts chapter 11, we see more non-Jews being reached with the good news. And then in Acts chapter 13, we see Paul, a person who had been hostile, who has now been saved. Jesus presented himself to him on the Damascus road. And Ananias came, spent time with him in Damascus, and, and, and explained how, who Jesus was, proclaimed the gospel. But sometimes it means that we have to continue to help give that framework to people. But the cool thing is, as Paul is doing this, He speaks to these people here. He's helping them to connect the dots when he's proclaiming the gospel. He fills in the gaps, but he's also calling people to respond. So that's another thing we need to understand about the gospel, that it's not just something we throw out there, but it's asking, it's also something that we eventually ask people to respond to. Have you now been saved? Have you now met the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ? 
it's interesting to see how sometimes people who have been hostile to Jesus are oftentimes the ones who are most zealous for proclaiming the good news. In Acts chapter 14, we see Paul and Barnabas and Iconium speaking with boldness against something we all need. We all need boldness when we're going to proclaim something, when we're going to preach, when we're going to communicate the gospel. We do need that boldness. But we see them in in Lystra and Derby reaching people who are of different cultures and different languages. And what's interesting about this passage in Acts 14 is that all of a sudden, uh, Paul and Barnabas they actually found out that the locals there believed them to be other gods. And when they found this out, they were burning in their souls. They, they said, no, they, start, they tried to reason with them. They tried to get them to understand, no, this is not, we are not gods. We want you to understand who the real God is. Their hearts were broken. Their hearts were broken. When was the last time our hearts were broken? Some of the translations, when, when it's using the term broken, it actually indicates rage and sorrow. Um, there's this mixture, but either way that they were broken, they were upset. They were not okay. And I think sometimes today it takes a lot of boldness to look at culture, to look at people that we're interacting with, and to not just dismiss them, but to all of a sudden have an actual emotion. It, it's something that only God can really give. They were being led by God. We need to ask ourselves if we have our hearts being broken. What happens next in Acts chapter 15, this is kind of interesting, the the Jerusalem council, and I'm not going to get too much into this because there's really a lot going on, but essentially it was there that was decided that, no, the gospel's not just for Jews. It really is for everybody. You don't have to become something in order to be saved by God. God wants to reach everybody. I mean, it does say that in Revelation, that every tongue, tribe, and nation. So everybody's going to be coming to God. So one thing that we have to remember when proclaiming the good news is that what we're wanting to see actually happen is the gospel, the seed, germinate in the soil. We don't want to transpose culture. So what I'm getting at is we don't want to colonialize the people that we're trying to reach. And that's something that in the church we haven't always gotten right. And in fact, more times we've, we've really done that wrong. We don't necessarily want the people that we're trying to reach, that God has placed a burden on our hearts to go after, to become like us. And, and, and so here's an interesting example of that. Growing up in Ventura, I can remember two different churches in the same street, corners trying to reach people. So one church was on one side of town, one was on the other. But in downtown Ventura on a Friday and Saturday night, there's bars, there's restaurants, there's all sorts of things happening. And so here, here's the two examples. So there's one church, there are plant, um, I'm not going to do this, but they actually have shot glasses that have their church logo and their name and they're trying to reach the people that are there. And then there's another group of people literally on the other, on the other corner in their three-piece breasted suit, coat, tie with a sign that says repent or burn. So you have two very different types of people. Now I've seen what the other church looks like. I I had seen it before. Everybody there all looks the same. They dress the same. They talk the same. They look the same. And they're trying to go there and say, if you don't become like us, you're going to burn. Whereas the other church, and I'm not necessarily condoning the method, but they are actually are contextualizing themselves to reach the people that are there. 
Now, whether people are saved, I don't know, but I can tell you this from my own observations, that when people were going there on Friday and Saturday night, one corner, because of what they were handing out, was generating a pause and a conversation and a dialogue to ensue. They were trying to reach the people that were actually there. The other corner, <laughs> nobody ever actually stopped. They cross the street and then would cross the street and then cross back over and avoid them completely. So when we think about the Jerusalem Council, we need to be happy and excited about the fact that none of us had to become Jews in order to be saved by Jesus. So that's the beauty of the Jerusalem Council, that we are all the recipients of, every one of us. We really and truly are. It's a good thing. So then in Acts chapter 16, now with Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council in mind, now Acts 16, we see Timothy, a Greek, non-Jew, with Paul, a Jew, and Timothy is becoming circumcised. So then we think to ourselves, well, wait a minute. You don't have to become a Jew in order to be saved by Jesus. But what God had placed on Timothy's heart was to actually, as a Greek, to go and reach Jews. So sometimes, sometimes we actually need to look and sound and be like the people that maybe God has put on our hearts to go and reach. Not all the time, but sometimes. Sometimes that's actually a really important thing. Because Paul later on in 1 Corinthians, this is, this is what sums the beauty of that up really clearly. In 1 Corinthians 9, it says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing because when you have been changed by the gospel, you're willing to do things that you had never once thought you'd be willing to do. When God changes us, we want to go see that happen in other people as well. And sunrise on your 20th coming up, that's you. That's us. That's what you have done. Being changed by God, you have gone to places to reach people. And I'll talk about that in a few minutes, but this is leading us up to our text in Acts chapter 17. And I'm hoping it's going to be up on the screen in just a minute. I'm reading out of NIV. I believe if you have the paper Bible in the back, it's 757, 758. And if it's the, I don't know how to say numbers in Spanish, so I, I'm really sorry, but it's 1,158. I know because I looked in the book, so I, I'm trying. Sorry. But, um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34. What, this is what I want you to do. This is our passage. This is our sweet spot, our home base for the next few minutes, okay? So this is what I want you to do. This is fairly inductive. Anybody can do this. I want you to pay attention to three different things, and I'm going to give them to you in the form of a question, okay? So three different things. I want you to look for what did Paul see? What did Paul see? What did Paul feel? 
What did he feel? And how did he engage the people there? Because this defines, this is the cornerstone passage of what it means to proclaim the gospel in a culturally relevant way or in a way that is timeless or in a way where you're going to reach other people that you are not necessarily like. I want you to pay attention to those three things. So if you are a note taker, cool. I want you to write those three things down. What did Paul see? What did Paul feel? And how did he engage the people there? Because those are lessons for us that we're going to get into right now. So with that, I'm going to read this lengthy passage. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as one in the market, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to the meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, and he said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at the objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we all live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered as often they do. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So what did Paul see? What did Paul feel? And how did he engage them? 
How did, what did he see? What did he feel? What did, what did he do to engage them? Well, we saw that he, he was greatly distressed. We saw in him a desire. He even says to them, I see in you a desire to be religious. Paul sees that. And he also saw them worshiping idols. What did he feel? He felt distressed. He was troubled. There was a holy discontent inside him that was not okay with what he was seeing. And he knew the solution for that. He knew what they needed. It wasn't an arrogant sort of, let me come and tell you how to actually live. It was more a worry, more attention inside of him that he understood because he had had it once himself. How did he engage the people? This is an important question for us. He reasoned with them in verse 17. And then in verse 23, he walked around and he observed. He observed. He noticed an idol with the inscription to an unknown God. This, this was a tool for him to engage the people that he was now going to reach. And in verse 28, it says, some of your own poets have said, see, he was conversant with them. He understood their art, their poetry. He took the time to observe, to, to honestly make good observations, to read up a little, to understand who these people were. And he used their own symbols, their own art, to explain as a tool the gospel for them. This is genius. This is beautiful. And really, his story of what we see in this, this is the whole story of Scripture. This is our story. This is the story of sunrise. It must have broken God's heart to see us in the condition that we were so much that at infinite cost to himself. He reasoned with us. He took cultural means, earthly means, by taking the form of a man who knew no sin to reach us by using our own means. And like the disciples that we saw, starting in chapter 8, leading up to this, there was a point when he did call for a decision. A decision was made. What are you now going to do with this gospel? Jesus himself in John 14, your high school youth group, the way. Jesus says to the people, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the gospel. The story of the gospel is the story of Acts, specifically where we were at today, but it's also the story of sunrise. How has sunrise reached out culturally to the people. Now, when Russ was telling me about this series and when he was telling me about um, what he wanted me to speak on, he gave me a couple of different options, and this one was the one that I was really excited about, but I would have done anything if Russ had asked me to. Russ has that ability with me because in a lot of ways, he's been like my spiritual dad. He's amazing. He answers his phone when I call. He's been there for us over the last four years and two plus leading up to that. I would do anything for that man. But this was the topic that we both settled on, and I was excited about it. And I thought to myself, how amazing sunrise 20 years. 
And I said, Russ, what passage would you go to? And I've been in a Bible reading plan. And he said, I really like that Aragopas passage in, in Acts 17. I said, hey, I was just in that yesterday. That's what I was thinking too. And I thought to myself, how has sunrise, how have we reached out culturally to the people around us? And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, like we're the definition of that in many ways. Like we really are. There aren't too many churches that are bilingual. I mean, in, in Genesis, and I had to refresh my memory a few minutes ago when we were worshiping because I thought to myself, this is a picture of heaven. Really, because in, in Genesis chapter 11, we see the Tower of Babel being built and God confusing people with various languages. But then in Acts chapter 2, we see the Spirit poured out on all flesh, and we see tongues of fire, and we see people who are speaking different languages all coming together and understanding and worshiping the one true God. See, there will be no misunderstanding and no miscommunication in heaven. We're all going to be worshiping God together. So in many ways, when we think of the Lord's Prayer on earth as it is in heaven, we think to ourselves, we need to be doing the work of the kingdom here and now because in heaven it's going to look like this. So why can't it look like this now on earth? And when I think about that, I think about sunrise on earth as it is in heaven. That is us. That is you. And I was thinking, what have we done? I remember, now this is celebration time. I remember when we were here, we did services. Martine remembers this. Most of you do. We did services over at Mulcahy. I believe over Memorial Day. We did that. I know we did it for a couple of years in a row. And I think maybe it was done before that. But we went someplace and we held services in a park. And that was not cheap. But the gospel calls us to do things that we don't always think are wise in the world's eyes. We went to Mulcahy and we did services and it was fun. You have students and your pastor at Tech right now. Now, Tech, tech is funny. First rule about Tech, you don't talk about Tech. So most people don't really know what goes on at Tech. But it need, let me just say this because uh, I did it. Um, your students are going to come back and they, they will have been introduced to Jesus. So that's a very amazing thing. Sometimes, I was texting Cody, sometimes you're called to a generation. Shine is an amazing thing that is reaching people because children aren't always thought of highly. They're honored here. What else have you done, Sunrise? I remember Wayne coming here on Thanksgiving and cooking up turkeys. Several of you did that, actually, and taking them to places where churches weren't going. They weren't going there to give people food. I can remember so many things that happened here. I remember us taking students on youth retreats, and that's still happening. Greg's doing it. And what else have you guys done? What else? There's been so many things and it's all because we have been changed by God because God, brokenhearted looking at us, used cultural means to reach us, earthly means, at infinite cost to himself, and demanded a response. It's not often immediate. Sometimes with people that we're trying to reach, we're taking our time with them because we're sensitive to what's happening in their lives. That if we were to press them for a response, it would not go well. So we put in the time. We till the soil. It takes many years to reap a crop off of some things. 
So we put in the time, we put in the elbow grease to reach them, but at some point there will be a time when the question is asked, have you met the resurrected Savior yet? Are you now ready to call yourself a Christian? And sunrise, you may not feel it. You may not look it by current standards, but you are an incredibly successful church. You have planted churches in Tipton, Visalia. Where else have we planted churches here, Tony? Where else? And, and there's a work going on right now in Costa Rica, right? There's a whole lot going on there right now. Everybody put four. Hold up, a, hold up the number four right now. Four percent. Say four percent. Four percent of churches in North America are multiplying. That means 96% are not. You are among the very 4% in North America that is multiplying. Most churches with humongous budgets, and I know, they're playing the addition game. What can we do? What programmatic approach do we need to take to reach these few people? And they're playing, they're playing that game. And there's nothing wrong with that. We all need to celebrate people coming to saving knowledge of Jesus. But you, my friends, my family, are among the four, the 4% in North America that is multiplying. We need to celebrate that. So in a few weeks, yeah. Not just what we've done, but where are we going next? Thank you, Lord, for the last 20 years, because I know people in this community who have been saved because of the gospel that has been proclaimed at this church. But what about the next 20 years? My friends, over the next few weeks, as you are leading up to the actual celebration, I want you to be dreaming about what God is calling you to next. Let's dream together about what's going to happen next. Some of you are called to a place, maybe global, maybe local, maybe hyper-local, a neighborhood that you already live in that you don't know the people. Some of you are called to a generation, shine, transformed, the way, going on campus with Youth for Christ. That was another fun thing done here. I got to go to MO. I got to go to Western. I got to go to Mulcahy. Maybe God is calling you to one specific person. But I can promise you this. With all eyes looking, I can promise you this. God is indeed made you to reach somebody. So where are we going next? What do the next 20 years look like for us? So over the next few weeks leading up to that celebration, it's time to dream. It's time to dream. So dream together. May you have crazy dreams that wake you up in the middle of the night. May your heart be broken. May you question your finances of whether or not you can actually go do such and such. May you think about your own safety. Is this wise? Is this reckless? Is this good? Is this bad? 
May you do all those things and know that the answer was absolutely yes to God who sent his son to reach you, to reach me, to reach this church, to reach this community. And you have all gotten to play a part of that. So now in the next couple of minutes, I want to call my wife up here because I want to share with you that while, yes, Sunrise, you're dreaming from the last 20 years and what's coming next, I want to share with you what's coming next for us and our family. I think you have to do a little ditty. Hello. There you go. So can you maybe briefly just tell everybody what God has been doing in our family? Sure. So... Um, we have been living in Washington for the last four years, and we have known that we've been called to pastor, and we've been on this process of praying and asking God what he wants us to do and where he wants us to do it, and um, we've had a lot of closed doors over the years, but we, um, back in November, got a huge open door to move to, back to California, and to San Luis Obispo to plant a church. There is a church building that exists there that does not have a church currently meeting in it that our denomination, uh, Foursquare denomination, is going to let us use. And it has a small house that we get to live in. So we get to move there and we're going to start a church, but not a church in the traditional sense. We are going to start a, um, a church built on discipleship. So we want to get to know the community and invite them to our home and have meals with them and get to know them. And through relationship and conversations, we hope to lead people to Jesus, people who would not normally go to a church on Sunday. So we're, we're not trying to get people from a different church to come to our church. We want the people who, who said, I tried that church thing one time and it wasn't for me. Those are the people that we want to get to know and to invite into relationship with us and then lead them to Christ. That's really good. Yeah. And a lot of that stuff, a lot of what you had just said with trying to do something different, something missional. Now, that was a word that actually I can trace back the lineage of in my own development to here at Sunrise. I had been sort of conversant with it before, but I actually remember Pastor Russ several times showing some videos of Alan Hirsch um, and explaining how the gospel is reckless. It's not safe. It calls us to do crazy things. I, I can trace all that for us right here, right now, of where we're going to from being here at Sunrise several years ago. So do you, do you have a question for me? No? What is step one? <laughs> step one for us has been just so much prayer. I, I cannot tell you um, what the last four years have been like for us. They are have, it's been very polarized. There's been incredibly high points and very low points but God has been working in and through it, no matter what. Um, but for us, prayer. We, we need prayer. That's, that's where we're going. Um, it's really close to downtown, but that neighborhood in particular is the one that we, we believe wholeheartedly right now that we're supposed to go and we're supposed to reach. Um, but there are, on the think on the next slide, there are some things that are step two, three, four, five, and six for us right now, but... Um, I know, I know prayer has been huge for us, and we would covet, we would be honored if you would continue to pray for us as extended family because we think of you as family. Um, can you tell us very quickly 
what is the culture there? What have, we, what have you been able to notice so far of the type of people that are there? Yeah, so we don't live there yet, <laughs> <laughs> but we are uh, trying to get to know the culture because, like Nicholas has been saying, in order to reach people, we have to understand where they're coming from. Where they're coming from. So, um, one thing that I like to think of is like, where is the hole in their heart? Like, what is it that they need? Um, we've heard people talk about. To some, you preach God as the Father because they need a father. To some, you preach God as Lord because they understand the concept of a master or a boss and they recognize the respect that God needs. And so understanding culture is really important. So we've been spending some time in San Luis Obispo as we're trying to... Not enough, but not we're, enough, we're spending trying some. to hopefully move there before too long. Um, but we're just trying to get to know there's, there's a lot of different aspects to SLO because it's a college town, but there's also families there. There's an older generation there of retirees. Um, but yeah, we are just praying that God's going to give us eyes to see and understand the people and that as we are going there that we're going to start forming some relationships and that will be key to giving just a window into uh, the place that we're going to be calling home and the place that we're hoping to reach out to people. Yeah. I think that's actually, that's, that's really good right there. I think prayer, continued prayer, but also for people that God would have us reach, that we would start to meet them, that we'd start to get to know them. I mean, going through downtown yesterday, we interacted with a few people, and I think in like most places, there's, there's a tremendous amount of homelessness. There is. And even Jesus said that that has always been around, that will continue to be around. Um, so we, we want to figure out ways to deal with that. It's an incredibly expensive area. We know a lot of the idols of San Luis Obispo. We know massive university there. Um, so education is very esteemed. Um, everybody, you know, downtown has all of its amazing little shops and stores. So we know that there's a there's that culture that's there as well. We also know that there's an impoverished impoverished community that's that's there. So we we really do have a desire to reach all people, but specifically who God is bringing to us right now. What what would you ask of Sunrise right now? Like you said, prayer. Mm -hmm. um, prayer that we can get into the home there sooner than later. The mm -hmm. home does not have a functioning bathroom or functioning electricity. Or functioning so anything for that matter. Yeah. It has water. It has running water and a toilet that does flush. Yeah. So um, that needs a lot of work. And until we're actually living there, it's really difficult to move forward on that. Um, we will be asking for help with uh, skilled labor. Um, I know that the Rourks are going to be helping us out because they're amazing people. But if anyone else is interested in... If, if you didn't know a, that, you are now. ...wielding a paintbrush or a lawnmower or anything like that, we'll have times that we're going to invite you guys to be just a part of the actual work of making the place functional. Yeah. And we have places where you can follow us on social media. Um, Stay tuned. We, we want to be able to come back and give more updates of what's going on. But I, I really do need you to understand that a lot of this started um, here six years ago. It really did start here. So follow the finalists we have both on Facebook and Instagram. And our goal in that is kind of twofold. We're going to update you on our ministry and how you can join us in prayer for that. But also we are inviting you guys to be a part of it where you are. Um, we're going to share what's working for us as we're inviting people over to dinner and into relationships. We want you guys to do the same thing. 
you guys have neighbors that you probably don't know or have begun relationships with that you can get deeper into, whether it's your actual neighbor that lives next to you on your street or your coworker that's office is next door to you. There's people in your life that you can get into deeper relationship with. That way you can invite them into relationship with Jesus. So um, at Follow the Fine Ones, we're going to be giving some practical pointers on how to do that and also just uh, scriptural references and other things to motivate you to do what we're doing. Because you don't have to be paid ministry leaders to reach others with the gospel. God has called us all to make disciples. So we hope that you guys would want to follow us and be encouraged by that. Amen. Well, let's stand and worship together one more time. (laughs) 